Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Well, hello and welcome to the latest of our special editions of Formula E podcasts. I'm your host, Andrew Vandenberg, and as ever, joining me is our Formula E writer, Sam Smith. Um, but we're really excited uh, to have our special guest with us today. We can almost definitively say is the man in the moment in the world of Formula E, the winner of 5 e a contender for the 2023 title right down to the final round and probably the source of the biggest story over the, uh, in the driver transfer market following his move from Envision to Jaguar Racing. And that is, of course, Nick Cassidy. Welcome back to the pod, Nick. Yeah, hey guys. Thanks very much for having me back on the show. So, a lot's changed since we last spoke to you, not least uh, the team that you're driving for. So, it's been, what is it now, a couple of months uh, since you've been there. How are things going uh, at your new seat? Um, well, first, I, I must point out that it's been a while since I've, I've been on here with you guys. And I tuned in to a few episodes last year. Um, and I was, you know, every Monday morning waiting for, you know, an invite in, in, my, in my email wondering, you know, what did I have to do results-wise? And it was the perfect motivation for the season <laughs> to get on the, on the show. And it's, 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 nice, ah. it's nice to get here eventually, you know? <laughs> he's, he's the classiest guest we have, isn't he? This is brilliant. <laughs> we're, we're the power behind the throne. Everyone knows that. <laughs> no, um, it, look, look it's, been a, it's been a nice off-season for me so far. I think last season was um, a fantastic season, and I, I, I need to keep reminding myself of that. Um, but I got to the end of it and I, I needed to get away. I needed a, a break and it's, it's been fantastic. I feel, I feel fresh. I'm, I'm wanting the season to start next week again and, and I've got that feeling back. So um, in terms of, of now, uh, you know, I've had a big move in my career, my first time um, changing team in Formula E after, after three years in Envision, joining Jaguar TCS Racing, which for me is incredibly exciting. Um and it's it's a, a new challenge and a big motivation for the for the upcoming year. So um, Valencia, I think, is really going to be the first first kickoff for me. Uh, and, and until then, it's difficult to to know really um, how how we're we're going to settle in and how it's going to go. So you've moved from I was going to say probably, but I would say definitively the best independent team to one of the largest manufacturer teams. Just for our listeners, Lev, what's the difference in terms of the operations and just the size and scope of what's going on there? Yes, I think, look, I, I need to, um, well, and I think I have been very vocal over the, the past three years that I have been with a, a fantastic team. Um, I've had the opportunity to 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 win the championship. Uh, I've had a very, very good car, um, which... You know, I, I'm fully aware of and, and I'm respectful of, um, but at the same time, that's come from from Jaguar. Uh, we were super lucky to have that that relationship, and 
and I think for for me, I'm massively driven behind the scenes in terms of development or or trying to come up with new ideas and solutions. And to see the the resource and um, the the how would you say um, almost the the willpower that Jaguar have, uh, and they have that search for performance, that drive all the time. They ne- they never stop. Um, kind of goes hand in hand to how I want to go and, and do my racing. And so now to have the opportunity to, to be part of that is, is pretty cool. And so to be honest, the next few months is, is the exciting time. And that's where, you know, being with a manufacturer or, or customer has its differences where, you know, in November you get the opportunity to do a day or two of, of testing, which obviously being with a customer team in the past, um, there was never the opportunity to do so. Sam, you, you love uh, sniffing out a good news story. Um, one way you've got a, a title contending driver moving to a rival team is about as, as good as it can get. You know, well, how did you uh, embrace the news when you first got a, a sniff that this was happening? Well, you just got to pay the right people, right, at the end of the day. Um, <laughs> no, it was, yeah, I think it was the biggest story of last year off track, certainly. You know, once the Gen 3 um, challenges have been sorted out, I think in terms of drivers moving it was the as we phrased it the blockbuster move and it was blockbuster because nick was doing such a great job and he was hot property but you know i i suspect actually that even if he hadn't have had a a such a stellar season as last season i think he was certainly on the jaguar radar and there was possibility he was going to end up there irrespective of being so you know right at the sharp end last year in terms of the championship so it makes made all the more sense because Nick was, first of all, he was the first driver to ever drive the Jaguar car, which I found amazing. I think, I think it was a brief shakedown, but he certainly did the first proper test um, last summer. Sorry, the summer of twenty two, and then he just, you know, he mentioned his um, kind of thirst for developmental um, part of his craft, and I think Jaguar certainly saw that, and I think they saw it being ultra successful and i think there were probably elements and um nick will probably be you know it would be too bashful to say but i think there were certainly elements of his performance um assisting what was been achieved at, at jaguar tcs racing and and you know vice versa i'm sure to some extent but certainly what nick was doing and executing the races and finding the sweet spots in the gen 3 car and the way those races were being run really helped the whole jaguar um squad let's call them the four car squad in a sense because envision have got a super close relationship with jaguar so yeah it was a, it was a huge story but it made all kinds of sense and you know when you when you look at um the jaguar team last year um mitch evans got the majority of the points and and ditto nick over sebastian i think he got 94 93 94 points more than uh, sebastian buemi so it was a really really good season uh, i know we've picked the bones out of the season we've talked about all the incidents that took place and we're not going to dredge a whole load of those up but i think when you look at it and we recently did a um let's call it a poll of the strongest driver packages Every one of, I think, the six writers that we got involved in that on the the hyphenrace.com went for Mitch Evans and Nick Cassidy as the strongest pairing heading into this season. So, yeah, all round big story and, you know, lots of anticipation that this this is going to be a really special season for Jaguar TCS. Nick, do you see it that way? Do you think that you and Mitch are the strongest pairing on the grid? Um, I... I think it's wrong to 
to think that you're the best because you're not as hungry. I think almost finishing second last year. I mean, look, look, um, I, I, how do you put this the right way? Um, I, I absolutely would have loved to have won the championship. That's what we all want to do, right? We all want to be world champion. But finishing second, it means that there's no no guy more hungry than I am going into this year. And I think that's the mindset I have as well when when looking at, at our lineup or, or ourselves. We've always got to kind of think that we're second and you always got to chase something more, if that makes sense. No, it does. And... Um, it, it's no sense in resting on your laurels, but equally, you know the drivers that you're on track with. You know their results. So it is possible to make a, a qualitative judgment, I would say. You're really trying to get an answer out of me, aren't you? Yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> yeah. That's my job. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, um, I, I'm obviously uh, quite confident after after this last season. I, I feel really good w- with this car. I, I, I feel good about um, the change of environment and I must say that Mitch has prove, proven uh, time and time again that, that he's one of the best in this championship. So, um, yeah, look, I, I think we're we're in a, a pretty good place for sure. Now, you're going to be asked this question a million more times or whatever, but obviously having two Kiwi drivers uh, in the one of the leading teams is an incredibly rare thing to happen. Um, probably last with uh, Bruce McLaren and Denny Holm, uh, McLaren back in the in the late sixties and uh, early part nineteen seventy. Just looking around, obviously we'll we'll leave um, Scott Dixon out of it because he's like a once in a generation guy who doesn't ever seem to age. But there's an amazing level of um, New Z- drivers from New Zealand operating at high level now. Look at uh, Scott McLaughlin. We've seen Liam Lawson doing a a really good job as a, a sort of emergency stand in um, Alpha Tauri. Uh, what do you put that down to? Yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's certainly a question that's that's come up a lot, and I'm very proud of um, a whole heap of guys uh, who have done well, uh, you know, in in Europe, America, now on the world stage, coming from New Zealand. And I don't really know what it's down to exactly because I think it's not just this last five years, but even you know when when Mitch and I were younger, there was obviously at the time I think. Brendan Hartley, Earl Bamba, Chris Vanendrift, you know, they were strong. And and now we've kind of got the the guys um, almost a generation behind us, not generation, but a, a few years back with, with Liam, Liam Lawson and, and Marcus Armstrong as well um, in the US. So super cool to to see that. And, and I have no idea what's in the water down there. <laughs> B2B, you missed uh, you missed Ken Smith from that list you mentioned at the top there. Uh, there's always one. For those who don't know, Ken Smith is like a 124-year-old racer who's been racing since he was like nine, and he's just like the one of the biggest heroes of uh, of Kiwi motorsport, and he just keeps going. I think he may have he may have stopped a couple of years ago. I don't know, but he's uh, he's a proper proper hero. Yes, yeah, inspirational for sure. So New Zealand's not. Uh, a massive country but it's not tiny but it's got a relatively small population so the motorsport community is quite a tight one obviously you and Mitch have, have known each other for a long time but were when you were young were you genuinely friends or were you just people who bumped into each other at the racetrack we were genuinely best mates and we still are which are is is very very cool and and pretty unreal now looking at this the situation and and how we're you know 
joined at the hip next year essentially and um you know there, there was tom blomquist mitch and myself who who grew up you know not only raising carts together but as as best best mates and um yeah uh, unreal to, to think about where it's got to now i mean it's so rare for that to happen it's i i it's yeah. basically Hawthorne and Pete Collins. I can't remember another time best friends were, or maybe Stuart and Severe, but it's so rare. Nick, I was gonna, I was gonna ask you. Um, you know, when you knew you were heading to to Jaguar and your friendship with Mitch, and um, is there any part of you that's got a, a little bit of trepidation or kind of going into that thinking? Look, you know, I like the guy. He likes me. We've known each other since kids. You know why? Um, why, why have the risk of, um, of getting into any kind of conflict, competitive conflicts? Is, is, is that part of the thinking or, or do you look at it from a different angle? Yeah, to be honest, almost a different angle. I almost feel it's, it's easier this year than last year. Um, and I say that because I think naturally the, the, the unsaid rivalry between a manufacturer and its customer team is there and if you're a manufacturer driver against the customer driver you you never wanting to come out second but as we know in in formerie it's not really like that because everyone has the same same car within that manufacturer so as as i was in that position last year i had all the same tools available available to me as mitch it's just not always viewed like that from the outside right um so i think now in terms of being in the same team, having the same goals, working together, I think you kind of put all that to a side and you don't really have that to worry about. So that's probably the way that I've, I've looked at it. And I think that there's less to, to worry about um, in a way uh, now be, being in this position. When you're that close to someone and you know them that well, you're only too aware of their strengths and weaknesses. But of course that works in the reverse as well. And they're only too well aware of yours um how uh, how well are you able to have a friendly rivalry and at what because you both want to win at what point does the professional element take over well you know like ultimately I, I, if i look back at at rome or, or last season i don't think that we could have a, a harder moment um you know i so said i think that's quite a good test i th- i think you know that that moment with three races ago i was I was leaving the championship at that point. Um, and so to still be mates now, I think pro- probably says everything, right? I think it's an amazing testimony to uh, the, the strength of your relationship. Will be interesting at the end of the of the season to see if everything's still in the same way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm big talk now. But no, look, I'm, I'm, um, I'm comfortable and I'm excited. I think from a performance point of view, it's, it's amazing. I think... Uh, Working together with with Jaguar, it gives us a, a really strong chance at the the team's championship as well. But then also from a, a a learning point of view, from myself, you know, he's obviously a huge talent, and if I can keep developing my my craft, improve on a few weaknesses, as as you say, and and look at him, you know, those strengths and pick up a few a thing here here or there, it, it becomes a, a really fruitful relationship. So that's certainly the goal, and I, and I think that's really achievable. I was looking at Mitch's teammates since Jaguar came in in um, season three, and he, his first teammate was Adam Carroll, who you know, friend Poor of the show. Adam. We know Adam really well, and he's a really good guy. And there was never going to be a problem with with Adam. Um, 
Nelson Piquet was was next up, and I remember going to the launch um, that season, which would have been season. Uh, what would that have been? Season four, I think. Four. Yeah. Uh, and um, I just, you know, Nelson. Uh, you know, I'm, I like Nelson. You're you're a big big uh, big. Um, fan of Nelson Tuvi to be and and I just thought well maybe they're just kind of too similar in the fact that they're you know they're they're sort of ruthlessly um, ambitious and they want to make a point but actually as far as I know that they, they got on pretty well um, Alex Lynn sort of deputised for half a season and you know Alex is a is a good guy and I, I don't recall him having issues with with teammates particularly so that was all fine and, and there's this trait running through with Mitch's teammates and and you know you can look at it on one hand of well they're all good guys um, obviously Sam Bird came up that was tested to the extreme last season let's say with with a couple of contacts but again you know I, I didn't sense there was any real antipathy between them um, although it was, it was tested obviously after Jakarta but you know one one way you can look at it is they're all good guys and they're all professional and they all get on the other is well you know Mitch beat them all <laughs> so maybe you know it was it was pretty easy for for him to get on but I suspect that really uh, it's the fact that, that that Mitch Evans is a sort of consummate professional and does have that um, you know that hard streak running through him I think everybody knows that that's why he's so successful um, but it'll be interesting to see if um, you know his position in the team is you know this words like jeopardize are too harsh you know you can coexist with two really good um hard races that's not a that's not a big a big issue i think in terms of having two that are obviously good mates that is a that is a big a big advantage i think i think it's too easy to be sort of slightly jaundiced about it and say well you know they're going to fall out and everything but actually if you are friends away from the track and you can compartmentalize what's going on on the track and in your profession to your friendship off it and that's test that stood the test of time over what 20, 20 plus years between them and they were teammates i think nick weren't you in in toyota series a, a sort of 12 years ago or so so yeah i i i don't think i can't see that been a been an issue because i think there's that that underlying friendship and understanding there so uh yeah, I think I think Nick's um, Nick's kind of philosophy is explained is is you know a, a real sound one for going into a new partnership like this. Nick, you mentioned at the beginning of our chat about um, wanting to have the ability to drive the development of a car and um, you know, really play a role in that. Obviously, we've got Valencia coming up. Have you already got the the plan in place, the the, the test plan that you're going to work through, and you know how exciting is that for you to actually be able to go into a test campaign? knowing that you can make a difference to the development of the car? Yes, yeah, certainly, certainly exciting. Um, look, a huge, huge um, motivator, you know, behind the move for me. Um, Valencia, in terms of what's planned already, is, is, is not defined. I think that's still a couple of weeks to, to put those plans together, but certainly a, a whole lot of things that were on the table at the end of last year, which, you know, sometimes you don't really have um, the confidence to try during a free practice and the ability to with free practices and Formula E being so short at, at 30 minutes. So um, days like Valencia become really valuable, even if it's on a, a fairly different circuit, just because you have um, that opportunity to, to try those different things. With it being effectively a conventional racetrack that's almost unlike anything you're going to race on, are you less worried about ultimate lap times and more looking for something else that's coming out of the car 
it's a funny one. I think everyone talks about that every year, right? Of, hey, don't worry, it's Valencia. Um, don't worry, it's different. Don't worry about the lap times. And then you do your first run and you're asking, you know, what's the quickest lap, right? So it's yeah. still... Uh, <laughs> it can't help yourself, can you? <laughs> yeah, it's, well, I think I think everyone's similar. Um, and, and it's quite funny. But same same time, you know, with, with Portland, um, potentially Shanghai, I think we're getting tracks now with Gen Three that are that are more similar to Valencia as well. So I do definitely see some some relevance and, and some importance of, of being good on that style of circuit. It looks like, although um, Sam, correct me if I'm behind the times here, that fast charging is still yet to be completely defined. Obviously, that could be one of the more key elements of the season. What's your uh, opinion on that? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I try really hard, and I don't know if, if you guys have picked up on this, but not to comment on, on the race formats too much, let's say, um, or or the things, because I'm kind of of, of the belief that it's not really something that I can change, so I've got to, got to get on with it. Um, however, as a driver, you always feel like you know what's best for the show and what's not, um, and that's not just me, but collectively as as a driver's group quite often in terms of um, whether it's race distance, whether it's types of circuits, um, race formats, drivers quite often are aligned. And and quite honestly, I, I don't believe um, so far that this would be a, an improvement to the racing product or, or the entertainment of the category. I struggle to see that currently. Um, I'm interested to see if, you know, the, the facts and the reasoning of, of why from a, a racing point of view it, it makes sense because, um, yeah, currently I, I can't quite see that my, myself and I think that's quite aligned throughout throughout the drivers from what I'm hearing. Yeah, I think the, the, the likelihood is, and, you know, we got to caveat this with it's not been officially decreed yet, but the, the likelihood in my mind and, and speaking to some people in the paddock is that it will be used in some races um and i presume oh, so not every race well that's that's what i'm hearing yeah um i think the fia and formula e want some flexibility to understand how this will work and you know the natural the natural inclination will be to use it at double headers so you will have one race okay. with just the attack mode and then you'll have another with potentially the attack mode and the attack charge pit stop let's call it um that's still to be decided but that that is what i'm hearing that they are looking at the potential of that so depending on how the calendar looks and we'll, we'll find out probably by this time this is released um uh, around the 19th of october how many double headers there are I, I suspect that there will be at least at least three possibly four next season um and, and i think we'll see um the, the fast charging sorry the attack charge pit stops in those double headers but uh yeah yet to be defined but we're going to find out a bit more at valencia where the infrastructure will be there i'm i'm hearing that there's there's a there's anticipated to be fast charging infrastructure for every team so the presumption is that they'll do a um, a mock-up pilot race or whatever you want to call it you know they, they do that regularly anyway at the Valencia tests but this time it could involve the first pit stops we've seen since uh, since 2018 and the end of the Gen 1 era so uh, yeah it should be should be fun either way well, we'll, uh, we'll we'll get Nick's opinion after that and see if he's uh, any more enthusiastic once you've done it Nick um 
basically since the arrival of the second generation car, Jaguar has had a race winning car, almost a championship contending car. Yet for whatever reason and some damn right bad luck, they haven't managed to convert it yet. How much pressure comes on uh, to this season to finally get that championship for them? Um, I I think from the fact that I haven't been part of those campaigns that the the pressure point probably isn't felt by me or or isn't noticed as much by me. I more look at my own my own last season and look forward with excitement. I think that you know there's no reason why we shouldn't have great performance again. For sure, we've got weaknesses we want to work on. For sure, others are going to improve. It's never going to be easy in Formula E. But we have all the ingredients to do so um, in terms of fight for that championship and, and get a title, whether that's Mitchell or myself. Um, you know, last last year, I definitely don't think it was a lack of performance. I, I was looking the other day and I lost 43 points in the last three races, right? And still had an excellent year. I've got to really tell myself and, and keep that mindset of I did have a great season because there's a lot of positive things there that, that we can take forwards. And, um, yeah, I don't believe that equates to pressure, that that equates to excitement. And, um, yeah, fingers crossed it should be a, a good season being based on that. Well, last season um, you were credited as getting your head around the requirements of the new racing that was required with the, with the Gen 3 car pretty much before anyone else and really helping the team to capitalise on that. Um I know drivers can often be very self-critical about uh, their performances when you when you look back over it all. But is, are there areas personally that you feel that you can improve on following on from that experience of last year? Yeah, for sure. Um, look, I think the the early three races um, of, of the championship we we weren't competitive enough, but that's probably down to you know that testing factor, um, the knowledge of the Gen Three car. Um, Mexico was the first time I'd ever done a race run, um, for example. So I think it's more just about hitting, hitting, the, hitting the ground running. Um, when I look back at my season, I probably lost more points through, you know, those final, final two incidences than I did mistakes, which is something I'm quite proud of. Um, it, but I've got to keep that up. And, and um, you know, something about myself I, I look at is – when I'm in the fight and, and I'm competitive, I, I feel I perform so much better than, than when I'm not. Um, so that's probably one one key thing, you know, that that's a learning that, you know, you you, you make the most of every day and, and have that have that approach and should be okay. Sam, we were um, highly impressed by the um, phenomenal consistency that, that Nick was displaying last season. There's almost like an asterisk next to uh, last season take that you have to look at it without london don't you think um well in terms of the first race you mean well, yes exactly yeah yeah you know let's not forget nick was you know gave a, a wet weather masterclass in in race two so it was it was an amazing finish after you know really a really challenging difficult um complex saturday i think there was obviously a lot going on in that and you know we've we've talked about that exhaustively really in in the last few episodes and you know i'm sure nick doesn't um has, has got over that to to a, to a large extent in terms of picking the bones from that he's with a new team a new challenge now um for 24 
But yeah, I mean, it just ultimately for me, it showed how difficult or how easy it is to make um, what looks on the screen to be quite a, a simple situation and turn it into a very complex one. And there are, you know, there were clearly reasons why that happened. I think, you know, I, I certainly wrote that there was, there seemed a, a distinct lack of um, leadership from from the pit wall or the, you know, the, the, the back office, let's call it. And we spoke to Sylvain Felipe, didn't we, about it? And he was fairly reasonably upfront, reasonably pretty honest about the fact that they, they things were weren't done as well as they should have been. But you know you can look at um, you can look at Porsche, you can look at Andretti, you can look at Jaguar, you can look at every team on the grid, and you can find a similar episode to that, give or take uh, the fact that it's you know not a championship defining one. I think it was highlighted because it was such a crucial juncture of the championship, and it's you know standing back from it as an observer and not involved in it you know i've i've worked for teams before and i have been you know in at the coal face let's call it and i know that um things don't go as you expect them to quite a lot of the time in motorsport and ultimately now standing you know standing back from it as a as somebody observes it and writes about it it's actually why we love this sport as as much as the hardware and the racing and the, the gladiatorial aspect as well it's it's a complex sport and um you know if it was easy it'd be boring wouldn't it i mean you know we wouldn't love it as much as we do but formula e specifically you know is 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 so misunderstood to a lot of people who are not imbued in it and don't watch it all the time it's misunderstood because people presume it's um it's fairly simple and that it's just you know a, a 40 minute race lights to flag and you know it's it can be run um in a very simple fashion it can't you know there, there is so much that the driver goes through during a race in terms of the communication with his team understanding the strategies the attack modes the energy management the energy targets um the, the vehicle dynamics of the car the list goes on and all that is under the umbrella under the whatever you want to call it the pressure of being on a street track most of the time where you know one single mistake will have you not in some runoff or you know a, a gravel trap and skating through it it'll have you in the wall and um you know uh, nil point with a load of work for your for your guys and girls to to do when you get back to the pit so it's it's a really i you know i'm I'm a bit biased because I love I love Formula so much, but I, you know I don't see um, I see similar different challenges in motorsport, but I don't see a pure burst of mental and physical application over forty forty five minutes um, as much as Formula E, and uh, I don't think that's as well known as it as it should be. So yeah, a long a long answer to a to your question there, V to B, but I think you know you get the gist of of what these guys uh, go through um, on the track because, uh, you know, I, I don't think it's actually known as, as much as it should be, uh, the stresses of it. I mean, do, what do you think, Nick? You're, you're the guy who does this, but, it, it, you know, you've raced Super Formula, you've raced um, Super GT, you know, you've done, you've been up the single-seater ladder, you've done a bit of sports cars, DTM, of course. Where, where does it stack up with, with the what I talked about, that sort of combination of physical and mental um challenge for you yeah i think i look you have to agree it's one of the most complex um 
series, but well, not one of probably the most complex racing series for a driver, right? Um, there's a lot going on, a lot that you've got to understand. Um, but then ultimately, I think what's what's really important in the championship is as a driver, you've got to define out of all the tools that you have available to you, what is crucial to performance and what is crucial to your end race result. Um, and it's amazing, I think, also how complicated that can that can be because ultimately they they are two simple questions and it's super easy to to overcomplicate them. And I think London, you know, was a perfect example of assuming that others have as much common sense as you do. <laughs> That's probably the most um, extreme comment I've made on that situation, probably as far as I'll go. But it's it's you know. If I look at that example, there were, you know, if you've got the fastest car that day, you're on pole, you've done your two attack modes, you've got the most energy of everyone. All you've got to do is drive to the finish to secure 25 points, but you jump out the lead to help your team. Um, you know, it, in my mind at, at that time and probably even more so now, it's a very, very simple um, thing to understand and thing to look at. Um but probably, uh, yeah, probably underestimated that it, that it wasn't so simple for others. So, um, yeah, some, some lessons there for sure. Finally, Nick, before we uh, let you go, obviously, Sam mentioned there you've had a, a long and successful career in Japan in uh, Super Formula and Super GT. Formula E will be going there for the first time with the Tokyo E Prix. How excited are you looking? Uh, how much are you looking forward to that? And how do you think the Japanese fans will embrace Formula E and the various strategies and stuff that we've been talking about? Guys, I, I'm I'm pumped for that one. That that will be very very cool. I think great for the championship. Um, actually, you know, before I, I went off after the season, I, I I went to Japan. I visited the the latest Super Formula race at, at Bategi with, with Liam Lawson. Um, but entering the circuit there, I couldn't believe how many how many fans, you know, come, come up to you for a, a photo or a conversation. And it, you know, at the time it was talking about London, you know, that, that watched the race or that watched the whole championship. Um, so it, it was just very, very cool to see how many fans followed. You know, there's obviously Andre, um, Sasha as well who have been in Japan recently and and have their own fan bases there too. And, and those fans have followed us and are, and are watching Formula E. So to to now go to Tokyo and, and really capitalize on that and involve those those people to to our championship and showcase what, what Formula E is, is, is going to be very, very cool. Yeah, I completely agree. I can't wait to see it. And uh, who knows, might even get a chance to go out there. Nick, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, all the best for the Valencia test. And uh, yeah, good luck for the new season. Thanks so much, guys. Really appreciate you having me on. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Some really interesting stuff from Nick there. Always a a great guest to have on. Um, But there's a few other bits and pieces to uh, talk about. Of course, with your calendar updates, it wouldn't be a Formula E pod without it, but... First off, Gen 4. What's going on there? The, a delay in the tender happening? Yeah, that's right. We uncovered uh, last week that there is a about a five-week delay on announcing the, or certainly um, making the decision on who the successful tenderees will be for Gen 4, which will kick in in 2027. Uh, for the new the new rule set, which um, will see a significant hike in in power um, for Formula E for that era. And how this works is um, tried and tested and in the light of Gen 3, a um, a much uh, questioned um, system which is centred around the tender process for, for the rule set. And the final selection was scheduled to be uh, confirmed on the 19th of October. That's now not going to happen. It's been pushed back to uh, the end of November, November the 24th. And the reason for that, and I'm quoting an FIA spokesperson who we spoke to last week, is that the priority is to make the best decision possible for the future of the championship. Therefore, it's been agreed to slightly adjust the timeline of the tenders for the next generation of Formula E car with the outcome on chosen single suppliers expected on November the 24th. Now, you know, I don't think there's any need to uh, to panic that there's any similar situations as there were in Gen Three. Not specifically the tender, but the the knock on of the the issues, the the array of issues that we saw with Gen Three in the early phase of of that kicking in. But I think I, generally what I'm hearing is that the, the specifically the battery tender is the area of difficulty at the minute now you could speculate as to why that is you know it could be that they've had a whole host of tender uh, submissions and they're sifting through them or it could be that they haven't had many um, we don't know which uh, which side of the um of the ship that is on at the minute but i think it's more likely to be the latter of those two and that they are still receiving interested parties and, and just wading through them and understanding who would be the best the best producer of a battery for the championship which ultimately is going to have a hike of 600 kilowatts which is up from 350 
currently. Um, I mean, that's a, that's a significant hike. If you remember, what what were we running at at that first test? 130? 130, 150, I think, wasn't it? Um, yeah. Back in Gen 1 initially. Um, yeah. So and that's, that's a significant technological uh, uh, undertaking. Um, you would think they need all the time they could get. Yeah. Well, the, the part of that is true. And the... Let's call it the constitution of how this um, this is going to be chosen is is through the FIA. But now there is a an intermediary, let's call them, between Formula E and the FIA, working for both essentially in, in Dita Gas, an ex- enormously experienced um, engineer and technical. Um, uh, how would you put it? Technical manager of lots of different projects, ranging from Toyota and Formula One to to sports cars. More recently, with the the Jota Porsche, um, and of course a long stint with Audi Sport. Um, and he was a familiar face in the Formula E paddock. So th- I think that's quite significant that that Dieter Gas is is part of this process, or certainly will be. Um, but it is a complex one. You know, not only is there the big power hike, but they're going to have a range of aerodynamic kits to introduce at um, in that era. Power steering is going to be added, which is relatively simple. Uh, and there's a 700 kilowatt of, of maximum energy recuperation. So, you know, this is going to be this is going to be a really really uh, potent design that is that is coming for 27 and you know the the added pressure of course is that gen 3 had this difficult gestation this very difficult first season and some of those problems are still being overcome Um, and that adds just a little bit of pressure that they've got to get this um, this really important rule set correct for 27 so they are extending this um you know we we reported it in the sense that you know this isn't a disaster there's there's plenty of time but of course when you are scheduling and pre-planning homologations testing periods um even the just the manufacturer and and the, the sourcing of supplies and suppliers um for to get this this car ready Actually, when you look at it, 2027 isn't that far away when you've got to have the thing on its wheels and racing at the beginning of that year. So all these processes will will be gone through um, 24, 25 in particular. And then I think what they want to do is they want to have much more testing capability. So I see 26 being, in terms of the time frame, having the, the car available for manufacturer testing much earlier than they did um, which was only last June, wasn't it, ahead of a, a January start. I think they want to get at least three to four months of testing in on top of what they had last time in Gen 3. So a real fine balance, um, but let's see where they are through next year in terms of, of getting this. I mean, there's no indication yet who's going to be the suppliers. Spark are obviously the one ever present. Um, we've talked before about companies like Wycom, um, who are well-known to Dieter Gas, certainly, that could become uh, be interesting to see if they they come on um, come on to be a supplier uh, for the chassis. Uh, Hankook, uh, you know, Hankook have told me that they're still weighing up whether they're going to tender. Um, you would imagine that they they've decided at least internally. So we'll just have to wait and see um, uh, by the end of November how how it all pans out. I mean, way too early to discuss this, but if there is going to be. Uh, different aero packages there will be some form of um, performance balancing won't there so they'll have to factor that into the testing times they couldn't have you know one body kit that was significantly faster than the others that that 
I wouldn't go. Yeah, I'm not sure that's been absolutely defined yet. I mean, this is a concept um, for the new regs. I think I think once once they get their suppliers um, commissioned, then you know the, the the fine details will be more forthcoming. But yeah, I mean, there there is the potential that they will have to have some kind of performance balancing um, in the future. But let's hope that it isn't as uh, as contentious as some other series because uh yeah that's one of the key areas that i'm fed up of talking about in my other existence in sports oh, girls. Yeah. Who, who doesn't find uh performance balancing or some of the most tedious uh, <laughs> discussions I, i've not met them um, yet i'm sure they're out there but i haven't met them uh we spoke uh, on the last pod about um, some private testing and people getting out so uh, we've seen uh, a former champion return to the track yeah, that's right. Nick Nick DeVries, um, he's been out in the Mahindra recently. And, uh, you know, people forget that actually before he went to a Formula One with Williams uh, initially at Monza last year in 22, he actually did test a, a Gen 3 car. He tested the DS um, car privately a couple of times in no, um, over in Spain. Right? Yeah, because he was going to obviously be um, with his now teammate, Edo Mortaro, at Maserati for the season just gone. So, yeah, curious how the um, the merry-go-round works, isn't it? They're eventually back together, but a different team. Um, so Nick does have some experience, but, you know, only, I think, a day and a half in the DS test and development car. Uh, but he's been able to get some miles before the Valencia test. Um, I think we covered in the last podcast with Ollie Rowland, didn't we? Some of the other manufacturers that have, that have been out there as well. Uh, DS Penske have had a three-day filming run um, this week in over in Verano. Where, oh, that's uh, a lot of filming. A, it's a lot of filming, isn't it? Yeah, three days yeah. of filming. And apparently they got special dispensation not to run at the 110 kilowatt mark and they were able to run full beans, which is... Uh, oh. Yeah, which is intriguing, isn't it? Yeah, but there you go. Intriguing. They got that special dispensation via the FIA. So um, I've good, driven the uh, circuit Ricardo Paletti uh, in a KTM Crossbow a million years ago. Oh, good for you. So was it's it, a good little. Tra- it's a good little track for those sort of cars. Was it more success- successful than your uh, 1988 Tyrrell jaunt at uh, Mallory, Mallory Park, Cadwell? Was it? I, I, I would say my uh, Tyrrell uh, F1 bio was very successful. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't crash it. Uh, for those who haven't seen, I think the 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 photo on your Twitter handle still yeah. is of you been um, have been towed back after after. No, 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 that's how they started you. Oh, so there was a tow rope. <laughs> you put it you put it in second, and there was like a Land Rover that pulled you down the pit lane, and then the rope dropped, and you had to drop the clutch at the same time, and off you went. Oh, classy, classy. Yeah. Oh, oh, mate, it was it, it, it was a the full VIP. Yeah. Well, I, I much maligned you, thinking that you'd shunted it or or gone off somewhere. No, no, and I hadn't broken down either, which you would be very much thinking with what happened. No, that's how they that's how you got going. Well, um, here's the, here's the Formula E link. I think you got three strikes and you're out. So if you stalled it three times, that was it. You were done. So the, the pressure was on, uh, and I'm delighted I didn't stall it at all. So I was straight out and and uh, and, and going from there. Well, here's anyway. the here's the Formula E link to a 1988 Tyrrell, and um, you know all all the uh, all the podcast fans will be riveted, getting closer to their to their um, to their laptops and to their. To, to to understanding what um, what banality this is, but um, Nigel Beresford, who is the team manager at DS Penske, worked on that car 
Um, did he? He did indeed. Yeah. Did he come uh, up with the with the spacer that made it, probably, it slightly less rubbish? <laughs> probably. Uh, <laughs> he and Mark Hanford worked on that car, uh, the 1988 car. And uh, yeah, I think Nigel engineered Jonathan Palmer that year. I might be wrong. Maybe it was a year I after, but know. he was certainly part of the race team then. Yeah. So uh, there you go. Yeah, tenuous, but it's there. Brilliantly so. Um, Nick mentioned in his uh, one of his answers uh, about Shanghai being on the calendar. Where are we with that? Is that confirmed now? Or I guess we're waiting for the World Motorsport Council to come out, thus rendering this whole section uh, out of date. It could do. Or we could we could sound like absolute Nostradamuses, couldn't we? Let's give it a go anyway. Go on, uh, yeah. Sam. It's not like we don't um, <laughs> like doing this, is it? <laughs> so Shanghai, I, yeah, as it stands, Shanghai will be part of the calendar, um, possibly a double header at the end of May. Um, going for that one, we're sticking on that one. Um, what okay. seems what seems to also be happening with the calendar as it stands, and we're, we're a week out from that um, from that WMSC meeting at the FIA, is that it looks like after all, Hyderabad will be on the calendar in, in I didn't February. see that coming, but that, that is good news. No, we we sort of alluded to it in the last uh, podcast, didn't we? That it, it could get a stay of execution, and it seems that. The, the backing, whether it be government or private, we're not sure yet, but certainly it looks like Hyderabad will get a second EPRI in that original date of of mid-February. Uh, Cape Town, as it stands, looks as though it won't be on the calendar, unfortunately. And there is a big, um, there's still a big question mark over whether that end of February date will be fallow or they'll find somewhere else to go. Um, intriguingly, um, and, and this, this this is where we could sound like um, complete numpties, it looks like Jakarta yeah, is... Let's correct, let's correct that. You might sound like a complete <laughs> numpties. I'm an innocent bystander here. <laughs> it, it, it looks like Jakarta could be, uh, could be in trouble. Um, the old chestnut of political... Uh, ah. difficulties um could have uh, could jeopardize that so race. what regional elections or something coming up i believe so yeah i believe that yeah. is that is the such key a, reason yeah, such a killer um, and then intriguingly the one which i don't think anyone um will have seen and uh, again this is still being worked on is the italian race in mid-april um when rome has been an ever present since season four um, it looks like that there may have to be an alternative for the Rome street race, potentially with a permanent track. Um, I hear Mizano and Imola have been scoped out for potential substitutes. Um, well, that would be a massive uh, uh, blow, really, because that's you know a firmly established date on the calendar, a successful event. Lots of fans go there. So is this a temporary thing? Is there some work being done or... Are they in need of a new home? It's unknown, actually. Uh, it's unknown. What, what What is known is that, obviously, it is a big disappointment if that happens. Uh, but on the flip side, going to a permanent track, even if it's for one year only, and let's hope it is, because I absolutely love the Romy pre-circuit, um, given so much drama and great racing over the years. If it is just for one year and it's a temporary thing, then, yeah, you, you can swallow that. But if we're going to lose another great street track... Um, by my reckoning, that would mean that genuine street tracks are down to, um, well, what, really genuine street tracks, Monaco. Um, and, and that's been resurfaced to the point where it's barely a street track. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, that's another debate, but, you know, I don't disagree with it. 
um you know you you're all of a sudden you're looking at very few genuine street tracks on the calendar mm. and the reason for that well you know what could it be financial could it be just through circumstance whatever it is a big chunk of former e's dna has been peeled away and i'm not sure how that impacts the um the view of the championship going forward um but it'll be an interesting thread to to, to pursue during during the next few months and understand which direction Formula E are going in because if they're going to lose that DNA um, and they they're losing that difference from other championships, I you know I I don't think that's a great a great look. I think it's fine to have a balance and generally over the past two or three seasons there has been that balance between. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I, th- I I think it's okay to run on a, on a couple of what especially ones that are like those hybrids. I, I quite like those. Yeah, I, I agree. But, you know, you look at Shanghai, and I've already spoken to some drivers privately about Shanghai and this small loop, and what they're saying is they ain't saying anything good about it. And wow. Yeah, have you seen Have you seen the track map for that? I have, yeah. Yeah, we did it's a mock-up of it. It's not the most inspiring it. layout, is no, it? <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. And, you know, I've been to Shanghai International Circuit several times, Um and it, how can I put it? It, it isn't the most um, dynamic of um, or characterful of, of places. Let's call it that. Um, oh, I, mean, I think I've been three times. I'm in absolutely no rush to go back. Well, no, I, I have to go back, so I better not go that far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've got to get a visa. Yeah, I'm all right. <laughs> but look, you know, if if it means that, and we say this every, you know, if they're patching up the calendar, and this is what they are doing. Let's let's bait no bones about it. You know they're they're losing potentially Jakarta, potentially Rome, certainly Cape Town. Um, yes, Tokyo is fantastic, and there's going to be a great event. Oh, brilliant, yeah. But you know if we're going to have double headers at, at Shanghai, um, and we're going to Portland again, and you know you could debate about Portland, and we have done before. But you know if you're going to Shanghai and doing a double header, and then you go to Mizano. Um, I'm not sure about that, and I think feels a long way off. Brief, I th- yeah, I and I and I think the teams and manufacturers will be looking at this and be quite concerned, and they will, uh, yeah, they will raise those concerns with Formula E. Um, and I mean, Mazzano especially. Okay, they they get a good crowd there for MotoGP, but for I remember DTM going there, and it was hard, mm. hard work to get a crowd there. Yeah, I've been several times for. Uh, European truck racing, believe it or not, and um, <laughs> yeah, I, I again similar to Shanghai. Is it trucking hell, trucking hell. It was, it, yeah. I mean, <laughs> the, the 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 trucks kind of fill the circuit, but I just feel as though yeah. Gen Three Formula E cars would just look a bit lost on there, and I'm not sure it would work. You'd have to do a hell of a job with a TV. Um, any other business before we sign off? I don't think so. No, we've covered off the important parts, haven't we? Asking Nick Cassidy if he'll do an impression of his new teammate. Disappointing. Um, he was non-committal about that. I <laughs> like maybe we could do something, uh, a deep fake in the edit and uh, pretend that he said he was. <laughs> could we do a deep fake calendar as well? That'd be quite fun, wouldn't it? We could do a deep yeah, fake We could have calendar. a lot of fun with that, couldn't we? <laughs> no, that's about it. Yeah, looking forward to Valencia. So, um, you know, please come to the the hyphenrace.com to get all the latest. I'll be there for uh, for the week, the full week of Valencia. So, uh, looking forward to catching up with everyone again. And you know, I'm sure that we'll have a we'll have a bumper podcast edition uh, the week after Valencia. Nice one, Sam. Yep. Thanks all for listening, and uh, goodbye. The Athletic. <laughs>